I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1969, the album. How can you be in two places when you aren't... Oh, my God. How can you be in two places at once when you aren't anywhere at all? The artist, the Fireside Theater. And my guest is Paul Germain. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So, um, people have heard me talk about it before, but I've been volunteering at the Writers Guild Foundation, and I have been cataloging some of your collection. Oh. So, Recess. So, Rugrats. Lloyd in Space, which is a show I did not know about, but when I told my friend that I was working on your stuff, he's like, wait, I love Lloyd in Space. So that was kind of <laughs> exciting to me. Yeah. So I'm going to have to watch it. Like, I'm going to have to hunt it down if I can watch it anywhere. It, was on, it was on ABC Disney back in the ABC day. ABC Disney. So. Okay. Um, and we, we do have a mutual acquaintance in Phil Proctor. Yes. Who was a voice on the Rugrats. Right. And, but it sounds like this is the beginning of this. This is the reason he got a job. So let's talk about this album. Well, uh, when I was a teenager back in the day, and that was a long time ago in the 1970s, mm -hmm. I had a friend who was into comedy albums and he played fire sign theater albums for me. And the, this one, how can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all? And don't crush that dwarf hand me. The pliers were the two that I remember. Yeah. But I loved them. I especially loved uh, this one because... It was like American history in a 22-minute compact <laughs> form. Mm -hmm. It was like everything. It commented on everything, including, you know, uh, uh, references to L.A., where I was from, where we were living at the time. Mm -hmm. So it felt like it was my whole life and my history and everything about it all compacted into this tiny little package. And yeah. I love that. I, I, I mean, I like it, too, and I like that we had an opportunity to just kind of listen to it together. Uh, for those who haven't heard it, the one side is, uh, the side A is is exclusively sketch, uh, and sketch, but not, there aren't tracks. There are no tracks in this. It's just, it flows in one into the other. And side B is a Nick Danger, their third eye, or he's a private eye, but Nick Danger, third eye, uh, full, like, fake radio play, which is so good and filled with, also filled with a bunch of brilliant stuff, including people reading one another's lines and fucking up over and over again, <laughs> which I love so much. What, so as a teenager, though, uh, how much of it, what were you reacting to then as opposed to what you react to a little bit later? Are you still reacting to the same stuff? I feel like it's, you know, listening to it now, you know, 40 years later, uh, uh, you know, like it, it doesn't, my reaction to it isn't all that different from what I remember in high school. Okay. It's a little bit different. There are a few references that I get now that I didn't get then. Sure. But mostly I just love the fact that it was, it seemed to be commenting on how things, it, I mean, it starts out with this parody of, or this, this, this weird used car dealer named Ralph Spoilsport, who was distinctly um, a reference to a guy named Ralph Williams who had all these car dealerships in L.A. when I was a kid. And I think he was, as I recall, he was busted for some kind of illegal stuff and they <laughs> closed his places years some years later. But anyway, he was just, they had car dealerships everywhere. And you would hear him on, you know, like, you know, like daytime TV, mm -hmm. you know, like after school television, he would be on all the time, you know, you know, hawking car, used cars. Yeah. And. So it starts out with a reference to that, and that's kind of cool because it 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 completely brings you into it. it it's like something that you already knew. It's yeah. like for me, it was something I already knew, yeah. and it kind of guides me in. And then from there, it takes off into this weird, weird trip down down the history of the United States, where this guy is changing channels. So so sometimes a, a sketch will go into another sketch by by some, you know 
uh, otherworldly hand turning the channel of a television and suddenly you're in another world, but it's just another aspect of, of history, yeah. you know? So it's like the whole history of the United States with kind of with with references to movies and references to World War Two and it's just crazy. <laughs> and I and we're supposed to. What I love is that like if you get it and you lock into what is happening, this album makes more sense. If it takes you a while to get there, it's harder. Because when I know when I first heard it as a kid, I did not know what the hell was going on. Right, but that's part of the fun because yeah. for I remember my friend said. You know, you're gonna. There's a lot of stuff you're not gonna get, but you, when you listen to it the tenth time, uh -huh. you're gonna get some of the stuff that you <laughs> right. didn't get before. And there was always more. Yeah. There was always something that you that there's like people talking at the same time, and you know, you're you're hearing one guy's voice up front, and that's pretty cool. But then maybe the the, the you listen to it for the fifth time, and when you're doing that, suddenly you notice. You hear one of the guys in the background. You say, "Oh, there's another joke." I know, and you didn't get it before. So it's just it's just layered and layered and layered. It's really fun. I I love that about it. So we're supposed to then assume that while the okay, so his car is a home. His home is a car. They are one and the same. But also that when you change the channels on his, his giant entertainment system, we seem to be floating through reality. We right. seem to be changing reality entirely. The thing that is so perfect about an album like this is you could not do this visually. There would be no point. Yeah. There is a no way. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So you are going to make these dreamlike logical leaps that are your own. I think that that's kind of probably different for everybody. Well, one of the things that I think is really fun about it, I mean, for me, as somebody who makes television shows and movies, and mm -hmm. that's what, what my career has been, um, You one of the things you learn is that if you really do a thing right, you you kind of you kind of tailor it to the medium to your medium. Mm -hmm. Television is different than movies. Movies and television are different than plays, etc. Right. Well, the great thing about the Firesign Theater is they were doing an album. It feels like it's not just somebody went and recorded them. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not somebody's stand-up routine that somebody's recording. Right. It's an actual. It's like a it's like a production. It's like a it's like a little piece of storytelling, but perfectly tailored to being on an album, mm -hmm. right? And mixed and kind of put together, and it it feels like an adventure. It, yeah. it to me, it's like watching a movie, but it's but it's in some ways better. And as you say, mm -hmm. because it's just an audio medium, you're you're kind of imagining what's going on. And you're right. If it were if they tried to visualize, and I think they toyed with that, right? A couple of times. I mean, they... they definitely have made visual versions of some of their stuff, yeah. Yeah, but I did, as, and my recollection is it didn't work as well because mm -hmm. it's just so perfect for what it is. Yeah. I mean, this was a time period when you could do that. Now, like, again, if you want to do improper sketch, most of the time it's on podcast. Nobody bothers to commit something to a thing with a limited time frame or commit to something that costs this much money to put out of course they had a record deal so good for them that's great that's that's why it happened but they knew their limitations and worked with them within them so much and well you know. sometimes i've noticed what like like i'll listen to sometimes i'll listen to comedy podcasts i'm not i don't listen to 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 that many of them it's it's not generally my thing but when i do listen to them some of the times i notice that things feel kind of there's a lot of there's a lot of because it's just entirely improvised and and kind of just people talking. Mm -hmm. It feels like sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh, I'm kind of with this, and then I kind of drift off, yep. and I'm not with it so much. 
when you're listening to the Fire Sign Theater, every second is important. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, go back. I didn't hear that. You mm-hmm. know, every little piece of it's important. Yeah. Which to, is... to, to telling this overall story. It's really planned. And that's something I love about it. The kind of the bonus of us sitting here listening to it was that I couldn't distract myself with anything. All I was doing was pulling up the Wikipedia to make sure any references I might have missed, <laughs> which I knew there were a ton. And I know there are more. But yeah, it was nice kind of having an active listening with this because... It's easy if I were alone, and I was earlier. I could just be like, "Oh, I got to do this right now." No, yeah, you can't. You do really it. You can't, can't do, do that. It, it yeah. has to be active. And I, we talk about that a lot. But I also love that it's just so much. It is about the medium. It's about this is a thing you have to sit and listen to. It's really cool. Yeah. There's. Uh, do you have? Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite like segment of side one? I think I have to say there's so many parts of it that it, there's so many things I remember. I was. I think I was. I mentioned to you earlier that I. I really love it when when the 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 main guy who you told me his name what is he called his Babe? name Babe according to Wikipedia <laughs> I don't know I, he, but he's kind of this you kind of get the impression he's this everyman and sometimes he's listening to the thing and sometimes he's a part of it yeah and sometimes he's taken in by it and other you know like he's he's going along with it and sometimes he's observing it it's very surreal mm-hmm. but but what I what I remember loving about it is when he asked the question. They're talking about history, and he says, "Who am us anyway?" And that's one of my favorite lines. But that's that's a part I really love. I love the Ralph Williams or the Ralph Spoil Sports stuff because it just reminds me of when I was a kid and listening to those mm-hmm. crazy car ads on TV. Yeah, you know, and just thinking, "What does this mean?" Because uh-huh. you were listening to you're a little kid, and you're they. One of the things they emphasize is that they throw. He's constantly spouting numbers, uh-huh. and they just seem like when you're a kid, you're listening to what do these numbers mean? They're just <laughs> like one thousand three hundred eighty-seven. You know, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, so it, it just really captures that. So yeah. that's a part I really love. The Ralph Ralph Spoil Sports and What what kind of comedy albums did you have in the house as a kid, if any? I you know my parents maybe had. One of those, you know, like you you mentioned, we were talking earlier, and you mentioned the the there was a the first family. There was this comedy album about the Kennedy administration, mm-hmm. and I think my parents probably had that in the house. Mostly, they didn't have comedy at all. They weren't okay. really necessarily comedy people. I really got that from friends, you know. Yeah, I was introduced to all that stuff from friends, mm-hmm. and, and just being in high school, and you'd hear about it. You hear about the latest Steve Martin album. You hear about Cheech sure. and Chong. You know, they were all and they were all appealing to different aspects of comedy it was more like well what are you into are you into you like getting high and you're listening to Cheech and Chong are you interested mm-hmm. in politics you know it, it everything was different right mm-hmm. so lots of different things what about this stuck like why why was this good for your brain like what kind of a kid were you that this was like I was a geeky nerdy kid and what was great about this is it was like it was like you know honestly it was like an introduction to college Okay. When when I was in high school, I you know I didn't particularly like high school, and I was always thinking I want to get to college because that's where it's going to be really great. Okay. And this felt like what college would be, and in a lot of ways it was. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, it is an entire first half of an album that is about what the fuck is reality and how do we it can be about that anyway by the way like it can also just be a string of dumb old marx brothers like jokes i mean it's perfect that what's on the cover is perfect yeah it's a perfect album cover yeah yeah um but it's so much about you know changing reality it is like a kind of a perfect example of of, of what college would be for you i feel like right and then also on the other half on the other half of it is an entirely nostalgic piece that is also perfect for college because the second you get to college you end up a little homesick it's kind of a yeah yeah and you're also getting into like old movies you know mm-hmm. i love to one of the things that they're that they're dealing with is is these 
it used to be back in the in the 60s and 70s when I was growing up that there you know late at night there would be these they would show old black and white movies and there'd be like a host and he would be introducing and it was just local television a lot of what was on local television they just play old black and white movies mm -hmm. and I loved watching those and there's that there's this whole section of this where they're watching some their parody of an old World War II movie, mm -hmm. which they call Babes in Khaki, uh -huh. which I'd forgotten. I didn't remember that, but then when I heard it, I go, oh, yeah, I remember that. And it feels like one of those old movie, you know, movie shows that you'd see on at late at night where they they'd play some old World War II picture. Yeah, is this the so this is the first Firesign one you heard though? Am I understanding I'm that correctly? I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was. And I mean, I don't remember for certain, but yeah. I think it was because I remember. I remember we got through the whole that whole opening first first side, which is just unreal. It's just like this <laughs> surreal trip through America, and then the second side is this this like it's like Casa, kind of a parody of Casablanca or something, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something like that, yeah. an old detective movie. And you're watching, and I remember those that being such satisfying two really satisfying sections that were kind of connected but kind of not connected right and specifically on the nick danger side at one point he says oh didn't i say that on the other side of the album yeah, this is... and they rewind the damn thing holy crap <laughs> yeah, there's they're... so much going on there's so much going on all jokes by the way that like if i you know i'm a guy who wants to release my own comedy album but i'm like i have to be aware that jokes like that have already been made like i don't there's so much that like they've taken that they've just did first yeah they they they, they planted their flag there for they sure really really did um i really there's a really dumb joke oh, well they're all really dumb and i love that about them honestly is that on the, uh, somebody says either the word ruthlessly or ruthless and one of those jokes that you might not hear the first time is something in the background is like I wonder what happened to ruth it's yeah it's so right, stupid right. or i wonder where ruth is is what right. they said i wonder where ruth is yeah <laughs> again you might not catch it because there's a lot of overlap yeah but you can listen to it again and again and each time you know the the whole point of these albums was you could keep listening to them over and over. You mm -hmm. can listen to a Steve Martin album over and over, but you were just going to be hearing mm -hmm. his jokes, right? If you were listening to this, you would pick up a whole thing and say, "Oh, I never heard that before," because yeah. there's there's voices going on simultaneously and stuff happening in the background. So so rich. If so you were rich. if you were listening to to it with with friends, was it just over stereo, or did you both have headphones? I'm curious. I no, got... we were listening to it on a. As I recall, I have a particular friend I used to listen to this, and I think. We'd head over to his house and he'd put it on the stereo. I think it was his brother's, his older brother's stereo. Okay. I was the oldest in my family, but my friend was the youngest in his. So we'd go over and his older brother was so cool, you know. Uh -huh. He was he was so so mature and older and doing cool <laughs> stuff. And so we'd listen to his stereo, you know, and pop on the album and just sit back. And maybe we'd get high, maybe we wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Uh, so when, uh, so, and the other one was Don't Crush That Dwarf. Hand me the right. pliers, right? Uh, which is one that I people have also. I think the first person to recommend it to me is a gentleman named Jer Jeremy Guskin. That's how this whole thing got started on the podcast. And he said, you know, this is a good intro album. It's a little less this, uh, specifically. Don't crush that dwarf, only mm -hmm. because I think it's a little more accessible in terms of if you're not familiar with their stuff. Because this I heard when I was a kid, but had no idea what was happening. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it didn't make any sense to me. And the more I listened to it, the more I. I love it. Uh, good God. And there, but there's so much like also like I just, you know, there's so much satire on there that uh, maybe people might misunderstand a little bit. Yeah. Including an entire song that is all racial epithets. Yeah. But it's being done with a point. Like, you know, they didn't just do it randomly for no friggin reason. It but. didn't feel like racism. It felt like it was commenting it, on race. 100%. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I I don't know. It's 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 stuff like that that uh, always sticks out to me in terms of like, wow, that's a that's a that is a chance to take, but it's also like it's also a way to plant your flag. If that's the kind of satire you're gonna do, you've kind of established this is anything's on 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 the table right now. <laughs> do you, is there a way? Can you paint like a direct a draw a direct line from Firesign to your own writing, or is it just something that was in you? I. Let me put it this way: when I when I was listening to it, I had no, I you know, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking I was going to go into to to making TV shows and films. It wasn't. I loved it. I loved that stuff. It was something that that you know. I at the time I was really into still photography and mm-hmm. I take a lot of pictures, but I wasn't really imagining that I was going to be in some kind of storytelling medium. That's okay. not what I thought my life was going to be. Um, but as I went into it, it was always something in the back of my mind. So when I was doing Rugrats, especially when I was going through the casting process and deciding who would play different parts, I was always interested in people that were doing comedy that had to do with storytelling. Okay. Right? And um, and I found out, I think I was looking through, as I recall, that is a long time ago, but I think I was looking through a book of... Of you know of actors, fo- you know photographs of actors and mm-hmm. you know with their names on. You know what I'm talking about? That where they'd have their their uh, their you know they have those their headshots. Their headshots, right? And I was looking at headshots and I saw Phil Proctor. I go, Phil Proctor from from Fireside Theater, really? <laughs> and so I looked him up and I got him to come in and we and we we cast him, yeah. right? And I was always thinking of people that could do that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, and could could I was hoping would take what we were writing and, and taken in another direction. And mm-hmm. it kinda, that's kind of how, how those shows worked, you know? Right. We always recorded the voices. The, the first step of our process was, was the screenwriting, obviously. We'd write very detailed scripts. Then we'd go and record the actors because I wanted to give... I didn't want the actors to be tied to whatever some artist had drawn. I wanted mm-hmm. the artist to draw according to what the actors did. All right. So I would get great performances from the actors. And so letting the actors go with the dialogue you know we'd stick to the dialogue but within that they could take it where they wanted and go with it and it was really that was part of our process so i think right. i got that from them i always thought of animation as a great radio show with pictures attached to it yeah yeah that's fair did you did you have an idea for what you wanted him to do or what he might bring to it or are you just like i don't care this is phil proctor <laughs> no no i did i kind of had a, a sense of what i wanted him to do he mm-hmm. he was playing betty's wife uh, betty's husband excuse me mm-hmm. betty's husband on the show you know the 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 father of phil and lil that mm-hmm. was the character he played and and that ki- that guy was kind of a milk toasty kind of guy and so that was sort of the part but he brought his own his own fillness to it. I mm-hmm. remember, and I would say, I remember sitting in the booth and going again, 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 and he would get crazier and crazier. And <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I love that. Well, that, that I mean, he's a guy who I think, with an improv background and stuff, and just a willingness to play as a voice actor, like I, you can't get much better than that. Like the other he day really when I was recording him for my album, he said, can I try this as British? And I'm like, yeah, of course you can try this as British. And it worked out <laughs> 10 times better. And it was just like, and it was like a, the, the character of the read changed just because he knows the man also speaks untold amounts of languages. He speaks Russian. He speaks. Really? Yes. I did not know He's that. He's insanely just well-read and educated. And I, it's annoying. It's very annoying because <laughs> he's too smart. Um, there's a, I would like to point out, I think my favorite joke, because like, again, I, I should also point out to anybody who thinks this might be, like I said, it's, 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 it was unwieldy for me at first, but there's plenty, if you like old, just 
jokes. Like there are plenty of just jokes in it. It's not just uh, the joke. Uh, the line Lincoln didn't die in vain. He died in Washington D.C. Yeah, <laughs> might be my favorite joke on it because I like some great stuff. It's just there. There's so many to choose from. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a groaner, but it's also like that's kind of my that's kind of my deal. I love that. Any Is there anybody else that you brought on to Rugrats or any of your other shows who you were a fan of before? Well, yeah. It, it, what there There's a guy... The guy who played Stu was Jack Riley, mm-hmm. who was... Who, who If you're my age, you would have remembered him from the old... Um, uh, 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 the Bob Newhart show? The Bob Newhart show, the yeah. original one, where he played Mr. Carlin, who was the... Who just... <laughs> was this insane guy who just w- had, was so mean, and he would have this really dry delivery, and it was just hilarious, right? And I remembered it from from you know when I was a teen, you know, like ten years before that, or yeah, fifteen years before that. And I heard him on a commercial. There was some kind. Of, he and this other guy did this commercial for. I don't even remember what it was for anymore. Mm-hmm. And I would hear it on the radio. They just had this this dry kind of comedy routine for some product. Okay. And oh. I re- I heard it and I thought, "Oh my god, that's Mr. Carlin. I'm going to get him for to play Stu." Yeah. And I got him. It wasn't it was it I I tracked him down and we offered him the job and he came in and he did it. And so what we had in Stu was a guy who could just do this perfectly dry delivery mm-hmm. if we wanted him to. And then when he got emotional, which was so, sort of him stepping out of his comfort zone as an actor. I mean, he didn't like doing things where I'd have him yell or mm-hmm. or go, you know, get, get really upset, but that made it great. And he but he would do this dry delivery. I remember in our Passover episode of Rugrats, there's a line where he says this <laughs> this 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 bitter herb. What does it mean? <laughs> and he just—it was just hilarious because he sounded. It was so dry. <laughs> it made me laugh. So that he was really great at that. So we had a few. We we had a few people who did that. The 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 babies were all played by women who did kid voices. Right. Yeah. So they weren't for the most part people. Who, they were not for the most part people who had been famous before. Although some of them went on to do a lot of other stuff. Yeah. 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 If I, right, okay, Elizabeth Daly. I, I knew it was her, could not remember. E.G., yeah. Yes, E.G. Daly, right. So that's her voice almost, though, which is oh, so yeah, funny because you watch her. It isn't, it isn't. Yeah, She's yeah. doing a little bit of a voice, but not yeah. much. But she was what she was just amazing because she could make these cute little baby noises that uh-huh. were, like, amazing. You just insane. go, that really sounds like a baby. <laughs> so she was really stunning. There was uh, there was an actress, there's an actress, Kath Susie, who's really mm-hmm. great, who can do a lot of different voices and was a regular on the show. Um we we had uh, uh, the the woman who played Chucky, mm-hmm. really stunning. She yeah, had yeah. she died recently. Oh. She was great. Um, a lot of great people. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you mind talking about how you got into animation? Because I'm I, I mean we talked briefly about it off off mic, but uh... oh sure. Um, so I was working for a producer by the name of Jim Brooks, mm-hmm. who had uh, who had, who is a famous TV uh, TV producer. But he had about the time that I came to work for him, he just just completed production on Terms of Endearment, mm-hmm. which you know those of you old enough will remember one, three, I think five Academy Awards that that right. year. And I came in post production on that movie, you know, mm-hmm. and I had no idea what I was walking into. Nobody did. Um, but Brooks was this guy who at the at you know within the year that I started working for him had become kind of the biggest guy in Hollywood in in the early '80s. Mm-hmm. So he. He was like this giant with one foot in in film and another foot in television, right? Yeah. But he had he had taken a break from doing television and was doing movies, 
And then after the second or third year I was working for him, he decided he was going to do another TV show. Mm -hmm. And he found this British comedian who, you know, this kind of one of those chameleon types who can do any voice and play any character. And that was Tracy Ullman. Yeah. Um, who had never done anything in the United States before. She was about my age, mm -hmm. right, uh, at the time. Uh, I mean, she was she was a kid like me. And she she was kind of well known in England, but yep. not here. Brooks brought her here and and at the time we had just come to work we, we just he just set up shop at 20th Century Fox and they had just started the Fox Network mm -hmm. so he went to the Fox Network and said I want to do a show a, a show based around this young British comedian and they said yes sir <laughs> I mean because he was powerful enough to do that crazy so he started developing this the Tracy Ullman show and while he was developing it he said he had he he was I remember we were in his office one time he was talking about what he wanted the show to be and there were a bunch of a bunch of people around taking notes, right? Yeah, yeah. So he was a very powerful guy. And he said, I want to do little, in, I want the show to be a variety show, but with, with little sitcoms, little seven minute sitcoms, not, okay. not sketches, but a little more fully, fully uh, uh, realized pieces. And then between them, I want to do interstitial little animated bits. And someone said, okay, what do you want to do for this animation? So he says, hmm. he's sitting there thinking and he, in his office, someone had given him an original cartoon from the Life in Hell strip, uh -huh. that Matt Groening strip in the, in the old LA, LA Reader at the time. It okay. wasn't even the LA Weekly. The Reader doesn't exist anymore, but it was at the time. And someone had given him the original, the, the, the artist's original board from one of those shows, which were about the size of a poster. And he had it mounted in a frame on his wall. And he said, um, let's get that guy. Holy shit. Which is, well, I was a big fan of those, uh -huh. of those cartoons in the uh -huh. old L.A. Reader. So I, you know, I was 24 years old. I jumped up and I said, oh, that's a great idea. I love that guy's work, which uh -huh. is true. I was just enthusiasm, uh -huh. right? And Brooke said, great, go do it. You're in charge. And I said, me? And he said, yeah, we need about a minute a week. And I said, but I don't know anything about animation. And he said, well, you better learn. <laughs> so I kind of got Jesus. thrown into this thing I didn't know anything about. I mean, I, I was I was a live action film guy. Yeah. I'd gone to UCLA film school and I'd learned live action. I didn't know anything about animation at all. Yeah. So I was kind of thrown into this and I thought, well, how do I make a cartoon? <laughs> and I also knew that and the animation was going to be actually executed in Korea mm -hmm. because that's how things were in those days that oh, that that you do certain parts of the cartoon in the United States. Mm -hmm. But mainly it was shipped off to Korea to be animated because, mm -hmm. you know, for cost reasons. And it's I thought, all keyframes here. Is that is that the, still kind of how they do it? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's keyframes. And you do the the important creative aspects of the of the thing what it's you you do you you design it mm -hmm. you do the models you do all these steps but you don't actually animate it here mm -hmm. it's actually the, the guys doing the individual cells or frames or whatever they were in those days they were on cells now it's done in computers but mm -hmm. in those days it was cells that's done in korea okay. and i thought how is that a joke going to be delivered if we do that? Uh -huh. I mean, how is it going to work? Yeah. We've got people executing these jokes who don't speak English and don't, you know, they're kind of, they're following instructions, but they don't know really what they're animating, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. At least in a story sense, right? Sure. So I thought, how do I control that medium? How do I, I said, I'm working for people who, it better be good or they're not going to be satisfied. So I thought, how do I make this work? And what I, I came up with is I thought, well, if we write a really good radio play, mm -hmm. right? And I record it and I can make 
people laugh just listening to it without the pictures, then it won't get screwed up. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. We would write a little script. Yeah. Matt and I would go into his office and we'd write a little two-page script on you know Microsoft Word or mm-hmm. whatever. And then I would go and I would record the actors and I'd edit the tracks together. No checkerboarding. I don't know if you know what what mm-hmm. I mean, but I, that means overlapping the dialogue, mm-hmm. like on an A B roll, okay, back and forth, so that there was a lot of overlapping dialogue. It moved really, really fast, Makes right? Sense. Okay. And then that would that would, and I would edit that, and I would take it to the animators, and I'd go, okay, this run of dialogue here, you don't change it, you don't edit it, you don't open it up, you don't close it down, you leave it just as is. The timing wow. of it is what I want. Okay. But then this visual gag here, you can do what you want because I can't tell you how to do a visual. Uh-huh. I can't design that. You design that. But the audio part is going to be just as I've got it here. Wow. And that's that's how we did it. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to do, um, r- to do Rugrats a couple of years later, I did it the same way. We would write the scripts. I would record the tracks. We would edit them really carefully. Wow. Just the sound before yeah. there's any picture. And you would be laughing at the radio show. Yeah. At, at just the sound of it would make you laugh. And if I had that, I felt like I, I could know that the animation wasn't. You know, it, it got more complicated from there, but that's right. how it started. Wow, there's a lot to cover right now because <laughs> okay, number one, I mean, it's great that both you and Matt Groening are. I mean, he's well known as a fire sign fan, so I mean, it's oh, is he? Yes, I didn't even know. It's so funny. So the two of you have that this influence. Does, did he or does he know that he was essentially a dart on a dartboard in that in that situation? Because that's insane. Well, I don't think it was a dart on a dartboard, <laughs> but but it was it was you know he he was a guy who was a he was a newspaper cartoonist. He wasn't yeah. an animator. Yeah, and and he his car his newspaper cartoons were fantastic. They were hilarious, uh-huh. yeah. right? But that was how it all started. That's so crazy. I think he knows that story. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's just nuts to me. Uh, I also, the more you're talking about it, I my memories of Rugrats, because I definitely grew up on that show, mm-hmm. was just how incredibly dense it looked, but also I didn't, as a kid, I wasn't thinking about sound design. I now have to go back and rewatch because it's a very dense show. So much was happening and packed in. Uh, so, but when you say that, so that means if you got, if you get people to laugh at just the audio, like how... And I'm talking about just dialogue. Yeah, by the way, just the dialogue. No, yeah. so, okay. So no, that's even more complicated to me. Okay, so how does that? Wow, what is the process in writing something like that? Then like, we were writing the show as if we were writing a live action sitcom. Okay. Um, if you look at the at a Rugrat script, friend, and you have been looking at yes. Them, if you just take a second and look at the script. It reads like any script for any live action show. It's mm-hmm. the same with The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. They 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 feel like you're looking at a live action show, and that's very purposeful, mm-hmm. right? Um, then, with animation, what you do is, I mean, especially, I mean, really, this is true with just about any animation. You're recording if if it's if it's an, if it's animation based on people talking, mm-hmm. right, or vo- you know, voices, which most is. I mean, there's some animation that's silent, and you know, and it's and it's just about the artwork, but for 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 my money, for what I did, and for the TV stuff that I was doing, it was all about dialogue, mm-hmm. right? All about all about communication of between characters, right? So we would write that, and it reads just like a movie. If you look at it, it's very very much like a little movie. Mm-hmm. Right? And then we would record the voices, and then we would edit them, and then it would be animated 
the animation would be done to the tracks, right? Yeah. So the animators are using, they've got them on their, they've got headphones, they're listening to cassettes of them, mm -hmm. and, and they're animating and doing their storyboards to the tracks, mm -hmm. right? And then that goes overseas, and they do the animation, and when it comes back, it's just all the visuals with dialogue, no other sound. There is no other sound, right? All right. Because when you think about how animation's done, it's people like we're doing sitting in a studio talking on mics. Mm -hmm. That's it. There's no footsteps. Yeah. There's no claps. Right. There's nothing. There's just dialogue and picture. And then you manufacture everything else. That's yeah. not how a live action movie's done. Right. Live action movie, they're, they're picking up the, the action. Somebody slugs somebody, you know, all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. You might have a punch. You might yeah. not. Some of that stuff is put in afterward, but in animation, everything's put in afterward. All foley stuff. All the all sound that. is either foley or sound effects. Nuts. That are, you know, like like, it's all kinds of different things. Yeah. That's crazy. I did. I, I guess I did. I did expect it. That what you were saying was that all the audio was there first, and but it's just dialogue. That's just dialogue. That's great though. I mean, that 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 gives you more time to concentrate strictly on getting the story across that way. Right. And that's. Right. That's fascinating to me, and I guess I will. Then I'm gonna. Then when I go back this Saturday, I will dig more. I, she'll let me sit and read a script. Sure, why not? Why, why the hell not? <laughs> I'm there for free. You know, I'm. I'm uh, let's see. Uh, do you have uh, a favorite? I know we didn't re-listen to the Nick Danger part today. Do you remember anything of it that stood out to you as a kid? Or oh or gosh, uh, it's okay if not, because again, we only revisit. I like the, first the half opening. Today. There's an opening narration where the guy. Los Angeles. He walks again by night. <laughs> and there's this whole opening thing that seems like film noir. I was a big film noir fan. Okay. I loved, you know, those old yeah, uh, detective uh, movies from the from the 50s. Mm -hmm. And they were picking up on that kind of a thing, but almost from a uh, 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 an old radio show kind of point of view, a way of doing it. But it feels like that. And I love that parody of, like, the the narrator, you know, the, the overly serious narrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Do you, so okay. So we're gonna talk. We got this one. You uh, don't crush that dwarf. Uh, did you go on to like collect all the fire signs, or did you just have a few that were? I just think part I of your still life? got them. I had there was one a later one. I can't remember what it, it was. One that had had one. It, it had kind of a cartoony cover like this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it was the one that had the interspecies athletic competition. Do you know the one I mean? I do. Yeah. I can't remember which one it was. It was, uh, but there was, it was, this was much later. I think it was done in the 80s. Mm -hmm. I think. I'm mm -hmm. not sure. But uh, I don't even remember what it, which album it was. I don't remember what it was called. I'm trying to pull it up now. So, yeah, it might have been. Oh, was it, wait, is it this one? What's that one? The, let's, uh, well, it's hard to see now. No, is it the one with the dinosaur on the cover? No. I think it's that one. It is this one. Okay, yeah, in the next world, you're on your own. Yeah, in yeah. the next world, you're on your own. That's the one that has an interspecies athletic competition between the dinosaurs and the insects for who will have supremacy over the Earth. It's great. It's really good. And that one is 1975. My God, they, that's because they were Oh, it's 75? They were, yeah, apparently. They were, okay, well, so sometimes they earlier released, than I thought. They released two albums a year for a couple years because they're insane. Good God, I, didn't, I guess I didn't realize that. That's because we're not at that point. They yet. have a parody in that of ABC's Wild Wide World of Sports, uh -huh. which is which is this baseball game, which is somehow for for who's going to inherit the earth, for which like which species will inherit the earth. It's really crazy. That's fantastic. So I went, I, yeah, I was really into them. I had a lot of the albums when mm -hmm. I when I was younger, and then. As I got older, I kind of moved on to other things and sure. hadn't listened to them for years. Right. 
but it uh, Phil Proctor stuck in your brain by the time you made reference. yeah absolutely yeah I love that yeah so much can I ask you very quickly and this you can feel free to be like there's no story there you're credited on Big can you tell me what you were working on on Big <laughs> I had a very minor role on Big I was um, I. Th that script was an unsol was a was a I was going to say unsolicited, but it wasn't unsolicited. It was a script that came into us from an age from from an agent, mm -hmm. and I was a script reader for books for years. Okay. among my other jobs that I had there, uh -huh. so I read hundreds and hundreds of scripts. And it, for anybody who reads scripts for a living, they'll know they'll tell you that maybe one percent of them are tolerable. Uh huh. They're just horrible yeah. most of them yeah and big came in and it was a really good script yeah and it just stood out because it was such a solid script my my boss and i read it and we were really excited but i i don't mean jim brooks a guy named richard sakai he and i read it and and brought it to brooks and said you got to make this movie it's really great yeah and he brought the two writers in house it was it was uh, uh gary ross gary and ross spielberg. and ann spielberg okay, right who is steven spielberg's sister okay so they wrote it together i think mm -hmm. it's the only time those two work together mm -hmm. um they wrote the script uh brooks brought him in mm -hmm. he worked on this he worked on the script with them for a while to 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 kind of tailor it a little bit mm -hmm. and then they hired penny marshall and made the movie and it's Nuts. it's a really solid little movie mm -hmm. it's kind of dated now if you watch it i mean this that, that, this movie came out in the mid 80s yeah. so yeah. it's a long time ago uh -huh. um but it was it was a really solid little movie and and we were very proud of it I, and i i worked mostly in on the script a little bit but i don't even remember what i did i wasn't very important in that movie. I didn't do much. <laughs> That's fine. I wasn't I on thought, set when they made it. I had to ask because it's one of my favorites. Um, and I recently played Mrs. Baskin on stage. That's a, that's a story for another time. Uh, <laughs> but I absolutely did do that. Um, I, boy, I'm trying to think of some other stuff that you... Were, were there any cartoons? You didn't know you were going to go into cartooning, but I, I'm making animation. But was there anything growing up that was like influential? You know, it's interesting. I wasn't particularly interested in cartoon. I okay. loved Johnny Quest when sure. I was a kid, the original one. Sure. Um... I wasn't a big cartoon guy. I loved experimental animation at the time. Okay. Gabor Chupo, who, 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 you know, I worked, I worked for him when I was doing Rugrats, uh -huh. and he did the he did many of the designs for it, and he kind of design his company designed the look of the show, mm -hmm. and he he was one of you know he was one he and Arlene Klasky, his wife at the time, who were both owners of the company, were co-creators with me. We all kind of made created the show together, mm -hmm. and their designs were so. Uh, they were just there was nothing like that on TV before they came along. Gabor mm -hmm. was trained in in Hungary, mm -hmm. and he had this really particular look that, in some ways, could could proudly be described as a little bit grotesque and a little bit ugly. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I I've tried to emphasize this to people since then is that we were making a show about babies. If it, it it was going to be cute, no matter what we did, yeah. and so we fought the cuteness every way we could. Yeah, we tried to make it look a little grotesque on purpose and a little ugly on purpose to fight the cuteness because yeah. otherwise it was just going to be a cute fest. And who wants to watch it? I wouldn't want to watch that. No. So it gave us that that was part of what it was designed to do. And I guess I had an understanding of what Gabor's Eastern European sensibility was from from the cartoons that were coming into the country mm -hmm. in the 1970s that I was seeing that were from Eastern Europe because they were right. kind of purposely grotesque in a really cool way. Well, it's not it's not remembered because it looked boring. You know what I mean? It's remember it sticks in your brain it really because of a, how friggin' weird they look. Yeah, yeah, they're insane. And now yeah. and now that you tell me that, 
I'm then now thinking, I mean, if anybody's ever seen like the Polish version of a, a film poster you're familiar with, that's that'll at least give you an idea of what an Eastern European's uh, idea of design is because they're <laughs> insane. They're great. They kind of tell the story sometimes. Um, but that, that's that's kind of the first thing that pops into my head. What about some... Uh, so who are some other comedians you were listening? Because you know, I know you mentioned like you know Steve Martin stuff. That was definitely the thing to listen to. Were you listening to... Oh, absolutely. I loved Steve Martin at the time. Mm -hmm. um, Eddie Murphy's a little later. Mm -hmm. I was actually... Eddie Murphy's kind of a little after. I was already in college and 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 back out again by the time Eddie Murphy caught on. My my younger brothers were really into Eddie Murphy. I was I liked him okay, but it wasn't mm -hmm. really wasn't my thing. I loved Saturday the first. I remember when Saturday Night Live first came out mm -hmm. and Steve Martin hosted the first sure. episode. As I recall, yeah, yeah. I loved that. Um, uh, comedy, interestingly, that was not kind of my main focus. Right. I mean, I I I can't. It's interesting because I'm always telling people I can't stand movies. I love movies. Mm -hmm. I can't stand movies that are that are too serious where there's no sense of humor in the movie. Uh -huh. I think it kind of kills them. Yep. And and for me, you know, every there's no reason why anything shouldn't have humor in it. Um and so I'm always looking for for comedy, but it's not so much stand-up comedy that's my thing i'm more interested in storytelling yeah and and comedy that tells the story where the joke comes naturally out of the material where it isn't a joke for its own sake mm -hmm. and that's kind of been my philosophy with the shows that i've been doing i will i will gladly kill a good joke on any <laughs> of my shows if it's getting in the way of the story yeah the story is the key i mean that would be i mean i've got to assume that's why animation's your thing because if you were working in if you if your day thing if, if you were constantly working in like live sitcoms i have a feeling that gets quashed immediately right like, no, right joke it, joke joke it's joke 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 um which we never did yeah the simpsons kind of has that a little bit but even there there's a there's a sense that it's telling a story and the story is what's really important it's it it, it i'm the the simpsons is great i'm not yeah. you know saying anything bad about it but sure but i prefer when the comedy comes is is more is more baked into the story mm -hmm. right yeah well and there's also an element of all the effort that's being put in it's it's a similar uh, uh you know uh ethic to when you're putting together an album you know you have to put a lot of effort into making it and to getting it pressed all this money it's the same thing with uh animation you know that there's all these people who have to work very hard and changing it's not going to happen there's not a lot of you don't go back and edit a ton well of they cartoon. do the, the simpsons was famous for wanting to do topical jokes and uh -huh. so and they, they would they would out. insert they they would write up a joke because of something that happened this week mm -hmm. and they would call them and say we want this animated in and the animators want to kill them uh-huh because they don't have to reanimate some section Oof. but they do it they did it all the time yeah and okay. i think they still do so in a case like that i guess that's an exception and yeah you you know you think about the shows that people really love a lot of them are very like right just they they're really pushing to get everything that's happening this week this moment right now in right the show hard part with that is uh i mean there's a little less longevity to those kinds of things i, I mean, think so too you know? i think i think if something's too topical to, to, you know i'm always on my shows i always stress things being a little you know we do a topical joke now and then we had a dr kevorkian joke in one episode of Rugrats, <laughs> believe it or not but we, we 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 tended generally to stay away from really topical jokes yeah we would just try to hit we would hit things that were kind of that were general and kind of classic mm -hmm. and then we felt that the show would last forever and it kind of, it's kind of proven to be true yeah people can come back and watch it 30 years later and it feels like it's happening now right 
Right? Well, I can tell even from looking just at the titles of Recess that like all the reference points of the titles were either like classic movies or just some like stuff right. that would not necessarily be that accessible to the kids who were watching. We it. were yeah, we were all old movie geeks. So yeah. we, we it didn't matter because it the point of the show wasn't that exactly you know? yeah and so people you could watch the show and it, what we were hoping is we'd pick up kids we'd pick up their parents so if like if like dad's walking through the living room and he catches it he maybe he'd stop and listen he'd go hey that's pretty cool and then he'd sit down and he'd be a audience an audience member we were always looking to do that in rugrats it worked in spades it mm -hmm. also did in our other shows but they were a little more maybe kidding just the audience they intended to hit which was you know six to 12 year old kids at the time sure um so is is animation still your main thing i i, I don't even know if it was my main thing at the time <laughs> i i stumbled into animation like like slipping on a banana peel yeah. it wasn't what i intended to do right i always wanted to do live action mm -hmm. and so you know my partner and i are always trying to figure out a way to get back into live action which Fair. is where both of us came from yeah um uh, because we feel more comfortable in it. The, okay. the hard thing about animation for us is that we don't draw. Yeah. And so we're these guys telling everybody else what to do who does draw, and I right. think they resent it. Here's your pencil. You damn draw it, you know? <laughs> but anyway, that's so... Do you have a visual imagination? Like Because some people don't, you know what I mean? It's, it, which blows my mind to hear. But, like, I know people who are very... I'm like, you don't have a visual... So, okay, so you do. So you're, uh, do you well, also... I like to think I do. Right, right, right. I've had animators <laughs> tell me I don't. <laughs> Do you have uh, when you're writing? Do you think of do you think of the sound effects? Because like that's actually how I write very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Okay. I think of the sound effects. I think of I think of how I would shoot it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in my mind, I'm thinking of where I would put the camera mm -hmm. when I'm shooting the thing. I'm often thinking that way. Yeah. You 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 tend it's discouraged in 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 screenwriting generally mm -hmm. to give too much direction, sure. too much visual direction. Sure. Most of the time. You want it to just flow like a novel where you're not thinking about how you would execute it. Mm -hmm. But as I write it, I am thinking about how I'd execute it. And to some extent, um, I'm I'm designing it. I'm doing it in such a way that it implies kind of where you how you direct the thing if you got to that. Stuff. Right. And I think that's the kind of writing that if you are guided along without your ego being hurt by somebody just told you what to do, which I think is a lot of that, where it's like, don't tell me where to put the camera. It's like, okay, and that's fine. Directors do not like it when no. they're given too much instruction about that kind of stuff. They right. say, I can figure this out for myself, Jack. Just tell me what they say. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I've probably been like that before. Uh, oh, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, okay, so I want you to tell me, if let's say somebody listening to this has never heard Fire Sign, mm -hmm. and they don't know anything about it, why listen to this particular album at, if you think it's recommended as their first listen? If you love history and you're and you're really interested in in storytelling and hearing a story like I am, mm -hmm. which is my particular taste, it's the there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. There is no I can't think of anybody else that tells stories like the Firesign Theater does. So when you're listening to it, you get a picture in your mind of a world mm -hmm. you, there's like a whole world created in this little this little in in this case half a side the one side of one album you feel like you've gotten an entire world created mm -hmm. and i think that's fantastic i love that there's also something to this idea of the concept of oh you're trapped in a car the whole time there is this weird like bottle feeling to it i feel like because it's like no you got have this whole half of an album so you have to be you're stuck here listen to it well i only i, like I only partially agree with you because okay okay so for example okay do you remember for those people who remember uh um Oh, God, what's it called? That kid's book, the one with the 
where the where the where the wild things are. Oh, remember sure. where yeah, the yeah. wild things are. Mm-hmm. You remember how he gets in that boat and mm-hmm. then the boat kind of grows into a jungle and yeah. all of a sudden he's in a jungle For and sure. the boat's gone. That's what this album feels like to me. Yeah, yeah. He starts out getting in a car yeah. and he turns on the radio and then the radio kind of takes over and he's suddenly inside the radio and the car's forgotten. You don't even remember For that sure. there was a car. 100%. That's why it doesn't feel like a bottle to me. It feels mm-hmm. like suddenly I'm... It feels like I I put on my headphones and I'm listening to an album mm-hmm. and suddenly the album's gone and I'm just in a place. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me, and that's what the best movies do to you too. That's true. You know, you you're forget right. that it, you're watching a movie. It does feel that way. I just I guess conceptually I, I overthink it. So conceptually, if you know it's a it's that, then it, it does change your perception of it. I kind of tend to forget that, but you're absolutely right. You you do not remember that once the action <laughs> yeah, once it gets going, you, you don't know where He's you started. He's in the middle of war. He's in. It's just and suddenly the the car dealer is reading the last the last <laughs> chapter of Ulysses <laughs> so it's pretty cool yeah I'm gonna have to ask him what the hell that was all about I, there, there are questions I have for Phil every time I want to I want to hear I want to hear his answers <laughs> um so this is gonna come out in a few weeks uh and I don't know if you got anything to promote or where people can find you online uh but if you do I am and some friends are about to to start a uh a, 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 like a um a crowdfunding campaign mm-hmm. for a show that we want to shoot a kids a family show that we want to a kids show really about uh, a bunch of kids and their adventures in the backyard okay and i don't have a title for it. we had a working title but we just found out we can't use it it's mm. too similar to something else damn it so we have to change it so i can't tell you what it is sure but it's going to come out probably late in the summer mm-hmm. um at least the 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 crowdfunding campaign which mm-hmm. might be on I don't know what what crowdfunding site we're going to use, but it looks like we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. We're getting ready, so I'll let you know when I get closer. Yeah, Maybe by the time can... that happens, let me know, and I'll put an ad for it in the thing. Sounds good. I would I would love to let people know. Um, well, again, thank you so much. This is my been, pleasure. You're welcome back anytime to talk about whatever the hell we want, including big. We can just talk about big for now. Um, but uh, I do want to let people know to follow me on Instagram at Jason Klom, J A S O N K L A M M, if only because that's where I'm chronicling all my work as an extra again. Hashtag the professional blur. Um, I've said this before, but if you follow me there, maybe there'll be enough interest in me writing a book so I can quit doing extra work. That's how that works. Uh, Thank you guys for listening, and as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Music